I'm Asan. It's Friday, and the Friday show is back. It was another long and boring international break, but the Premier League is back this weekend, and joining me to preview that and to talk about how much he enjoyed the international break, I've got the one and only Mr. Howard Hawking. Morning, Howard. Good morning. How are we? Yeah, not bad. Not bad. Sun's out. Excellent. So. Oh, wow. The sun's out in Paris as well. Yeah. Must be sunny in Europe. Um, how was your international break? Did you enjoy it? <laughs> oh, fascinating. Yeah. I, I do like... I mean, you get to see what it's like not to like sport in a way. <laughs> how, you deal, how you deal with a weekend. But I, I think after the Wolves game, I did kind of like having a weekend where there was... Lit, you know, I just didn't have to think about football. Mm. It could be ruined in a way. No, definitely. I mean, we'll talk about we'll talk about Wolves maybe a little bit later, but I think you're right. I think having that was a moment where it felt like sometimes after a defeat you feel like you want to play again immediately, yeah. and it didn't really feel like that after Wolves. I kind of felt like okay, we probably do need a couple of weeks here for everybody to uh, to clear their heads. Um, so yeah, no, I'm, I'm I was also very grateful for the break, and actually, to be honest. I've thought very little about football in the last two weeks, yeah, true. Um, which feels good this morning because getting ready to do the Friday show, I was like, "Yeah, okay, I'm you know, I'm definitely ready for this uh, for this uh, next part of the season." Yeah, um, so look, I enjoy England matches now as well because nothing about them matters. <laughs> it's like, well, you know, the, you don't have to worry about. We didn't have a walk or stones in defence, so we don't have to worry about the tedious backlash if they dare make a mistake. But more to the point, it didn't matter if they lost in the Czech Republic because they're going through anyway. Yeah. Uh, so you could just watch the match and just, yeah. Obviously, other things, other issues arose from these matches, but it's a, a chance to watch football without it really mattering. Yeah, because as others have said, it's. It's very hard not to qualify nowadays, so it's it makes the whole thing pointless, but it makes it also a bit more relaxing style of football for a week or so. Mm, I do. I must admit, I do enjoy watching Sterling play for England. Yeah. I do think that it's uh, um, he's kind of elevated himself to a position where even in the uh, even in a poor performance or even in a moment where things aren't going well, Sterling tends to come out of it with a little bit of credit. At least he has in the last 12 months. And I think that he showed again in this break why him and Kane are basically the key to England doing well uh, at tournaments over the next sort of four, six years, something like that. Um, Okay, opening question, Howard. Omar Barada um, gave a statement to the MEN about fixture congestion yesterday. City play twice in 48 hours over Christmas. Um... Thoughts? Uh, I think everyone takes the blame for this. He, yeah, he's alright to be angry, but then, you know, I don't know who, uh, how TV deals are sorted or negotiated, who does it at each club, but the clubs are just as uh, to blame. I can't blame the TV companies. They'll do what they'll do. They look after their own interests. It is absolutely ridiculous. It really is. I mean... The standards and sports science and the preparation that goes into matches and the intricate details that every top-level club puts into every player, uh, you know, 
down to the, the different ways they warm up for matches, the diets, the sleep is monitored to the minute, everything is monitored. And the most basic thing that sports science has told in the last you know, couple of decades, that the human body after exertion needs time to recover. Everyone does, even the fittest of human beings. That doesn't change if you're on 200 grand a week. Your body doesn't become immune to this. Uh, you know, and I've heard arguments like that, that they're paid a huge amount of money, they should get on with it. That's Well, yeah, they can get on with it, but if they get injured, don't, you know, don't complain as fans if, for the Euros next summer, we're missing key players because of this Christmas schedule that, wow, you know, that ended up causing injuries later down the line. Though, of course, because of the multinational, international setup of teams, it could affect... You know, not just England, but a lot of other clubs as well. It's we all love it as fans. Obviously, it's part of our tradition, etc., etc. But to have from the the time the City game ends against Wolves to the time Sheffield United starts, I don't know. Is it forty four and a half hours between one ending and one starting? That is utterly disgraceful, to be honest. And I th- and it's worse for Wolves. So for Wolves, I think play Liverpool at two o'clock that day. So it's 40 hours for them. It shouldn't think- be allowed. I'm sure there obviously isn't a rule about 48 hours. I thought there was. I asked on Twitter. But this happened to Liverpool two years ago. They had to play two games this short. Now, remember, if it hadn't been moved for telly, it would have been 48 hours anyway. So there's not that much of a difference. Uh, but, yeah, my final point is the clubs have very little leeway here to complain because they signed these TV deals and they did not put provisos in about gaps between games, which I assume would have meant if they had put gaps in and provisos, I assume the bidding companies would have offered less money. So this is, in a way, down to we just want the money and it's a bit rich complaining now. But it's where's the duty of care for the players here? Uh, well, yeah, I think a winter break is coming in, but there's there's just no need for this ridiculous schedule, really. And there should have been something put into, there should have been agreements in place that stops teams playing two games so close like this. Mm. I mean, he talks about um, the integrity of the competition, Omar Barada does, and he also talks about protecting the players. Um, Let's let's deal with the former first. Do you feel that the integrity of the competition is somehow compromised by the notion that Liverpool get the extra days preparation between their game and not only that, they play the team that we play next having had an extra day's rest? Integrity? Well, I don't, don't think it makes much difference to the integrity. It's just... I mean, the... the... <sighs> It's hard. It's hard to say in a way because that's the randomness of TV fixtures. Mm. I mean, City might get three games at the end of the season against teams with nothing to play for. So, whereas Liverpool are playing three teams going for the top four or fighting relegation, that's just the way it goes in a way. That's just luck of the draw. Can hardly say it's a conspiracy that the Amazon Prime have moved Wolves just to help Liverpool out. I mean, that that's stretching things a bit too far. It's wait a second, wait a second right there. <laughs> Hold on. Amazon are owned by an American, oh. right? Liverpool are owned by an American. It's all falling into place. Fall there. I'm just I'm I'm not trying to put a conspiracy theory forward. Oh well let's flick it around the other way. Will Wolves weaken their team against City knowing that they've got to play forty hours later? 
So they'll have to make concessions for both games, not just suffer on the second one. As we'll see, I mean, this is not just about City. People will say, oh, City, the last team that can moan with the strength, the depth in the squad. It's about everyone, and squad sizes are all the same. So the depth might be bigger, but the squad's not bigger itself. And it's just ridiculous to have to... A lot of players are going to have to play a lot of games in a short amount of time. Players will get injured because of this. Muscle injuries yep. will be picked up, and it depends whether anyone actually cares about this or the money's more important. So, yeah. I suspect, from from my point of view, I suspect that this will continue to be the case. Um, I'm a little bit, you know, I'm torn between caring deeply about stopping Liverpool from winning the title and the title race in general and the kind of, you know, lefty socialist deep down inside me who goes, well, you know what? Look at City's squad. If anybody can cope with playing two games in 48 hours, it's Man City. We've got a really, really, really deep squad with some incredible players in it. Granted, we've got areas of weakness, but, you know, if... 70 or 80% of the teams in the Premier League are having to deal with similar circumstances, then I don't think that we should complain too much. For me, the injury side of it is actually the bigger thing. That's the side. Protecting the players is the side that I'm like, yeah, you know what? That, that, That conversation needs to be had about, particularly in tournament years as well, just with international players. What are we doing? Like, are we... Surely we should have some type of like, you know, general medical practice, like, yo, a guy can't play 48, within 48 hours of having just played 90 minutes, they can't be asked to go and play again. I don't think that's cool. I think there's got to be like a a time limit or a rule. And it's not about squad depth. It's about really players and whether they should be asked to perform at that high level so quickly after having performed at that high level. Um, But that's my brief take in a nutshell I think Liverpool have got I don't know off to the Middle East aren't they for that Super Cup thing they don't know if that means if there's any games during that period that'll be delayed and they'll get if there is I've not heard about this winter break I thought there's supposed to be one but I don't know if dates have been decided and I think it's staggered anyway Uh, but you know if they come out of this with injuries and then have games backed up then it can work, work both ways but it is essentially player welfare that's the main issue here uh, but it's no I mean it's no worse than it used to be so City played a Manchester, played a derby bef- the day before the full members cup final in 86 but you would hope the game's moved on a bit since then uh, and in a yeah in many ways it has but this is ridiculous and yeah it's Wolves that are actually the worst off of the whole lot they don't have you know I think Nuno likes a, a small squad yeah. So that they are absolutely and have got a huge problem now with those two games. I think so. I think particularly because of their own, you know, the way that they dealt with not buying until they were sure they were in the Europa League and that meant the window was closed, so they couldn't buy anybody, so they've effectively got a squad just for the Premier League dealing with the Europa League and then they've got the fixture pile-up as well. I mean, look, ultimately it is what it is. It's like Omar said, they can't do anything about it. Nothing's going to change, so... It is what it is. You just have to make your uh, displeasure be known and then move on, which is exactly what we're going to do right now. Um, Hey, so before the international break, I don't know. I don't know if you want to be reminded of this, but uh, City got beat. Um, How 
How did you feel in the media immediate aftermath of that in terms of the title race? And has the break helped you? Uh, well, I just it, the break helps because I just forgot about it very quickly. So I forgot about football, as you alluded to earlier. My feeling about tire race is is essentially if it's a one-off, but then we said that after Norwich, then the, you know there is a title race. If it's a trend, then. Uh, we could soon be writing off the title race very early in the season. It's that simple. Mm. So, mm. you know, Palace is very telling in a way. And time will tell. It's something we'll have to revisit. Uh, yeah, I forgot about it very, quite quickly. Because what could you say about it? You know, it was a it was a disaster from beginning to end. And... Time will tell if there's deeper problems there or it's one of those things, you know, just one of those days where things, players did the, made the wrong decisions, the manager do you made feel the wrong you, decisions and he's learning from it. So. Mm. Do you feel that you you have an answer for which, which side of the fence you fall on as to whether it's like a deeper malaise or it was one of those days or do you really think that you won't be able to know until... The Palace game is over. Now I won't be able to know until Palace. I would say history suggests City come back very strongly. Mm. Uh, but at some point, and this is not a criticism, it's just very cyclical, at some point City will not maintain these levels consistently. Nor will Liverpool, you know. Why? They, because they can't, you cannot, you know, Barcelona don't maintain their levels consistently year after year after year after year. These slumps will happen these where you lose a couple of key players where things don't go well where opposition teams are inspired uh, and you and it becomes self-fulfilling snowballs you know I think the team when it's on top feels unbeatable any team you know when it's putting together win after win feels as though it can do anything and when it hits a rough patch doubts start to creep into the mind that's just human nature City just cannot be getting 98 to 100 points every season. Okay. Even if, you know, Pep's here for 15 years, they won't, they will not get that many points season after season. It's just very hard. It's the greatest challenge to a successful manager in a way. Mm-hmm. And I do feel it's, it's not, you know, it's not happening quite at the moment at City. There's not, there's just so many games, you know, their quality saw them through against Everton. Uh, and their yeah, you know, and their quality was just so much greater than Watford's that on a, you know they can still hand out absolute thrashings to teams, but there are issues there, and I don't know. It could be sorted by one John Stones coming back, or it could be a much yeah, you know, it could be a a system thing that is quickly with a couple of wins is quickly rectified, or it could be problematic, and that that deficit in the league table is the biggest thing. If they were level, I wouldn't really have... I wouldn't be too worried whatsoever. You know, mm. If they were joint top at the table, it was like, well, it's happened, you know. It's part of a season, but there's just no leeway anymore. So I think we do, you know, the, the Palace game will be very telling. I did, you know, we, if you believe in history, we do. Bizarrely, I think it was Duncan Alexander mentioned this on uh, another podcast that... Our record after the October break is we beat Stoke 7-2. Uh, we've, I think, scored five sixes. So we've got a 
bizarrely good record after the October international break. So if you do believe in historical results, that's uh, something to hang on to. Mm, I like that stat. It was on the uh, it was on the Totally Football yeah. Show the other day. It's like a ridiculous amount of goals that we scored, even going back to the Pellegrini oh, years. Even the Spurs four one was in there, and West Brom five maybe. Yeah, so yeah, quite a few uh, thrashings handed out. Okay. Well, look, I I don't think that it's quite as uh, difficult to predict as you've suggested. I do think that it's that those games are basically moments, and actually, inside of those games, there are moments that change the game irreversibly. And I don't think those moments are the fault of a, a bigger system issue or like. I did a, I did the noisy pod earlier this week, and if you haven't listened to it, Howard, you should really listen to it because it makes a pretty compelling argument for why everybody just needs to relax a little bit. I think that you know, I think the reality is that if you look across Norwich and Wolves, they they are very much aberrations, and the reason that they're aberrations is because the goals that are conceded they come from moments that are that would be catastrophic if they happened to Sheffield United or to Aston Villa, never mind to Manchester City. From a defensive point of view, you're talking about I don't want to pick at individual players, but individuals making mistakes that you really only make once a season or twice a season. Um and I think that of course Laporte being out a little bit of chopping and changing in the back four does tend to lead to a little bit of instability. But even underneath that instability, the defeats for me, they come more from things that really are about certain players sitting down, looking in the mirror and going, I just need to calm down and remember why I'm good. Because all of these guys have played at a much higher level than they showed in those two individual games. Even sandwiched in between those two individual games, those guys played at a much higher level. And that's the reason why I don't feel that there's like a, a, a deep systemic issue. I think, look, I think football is... Uh, uh, people need hot takes and you need the narrative is 24-7 so you constantly need to be talking about things so I totally understand why there's an analysis of oh well Rodri's different to Fernandinho and if Fernandinho was there we'd be more stable and you know Laporte's gone and because Laporte's gone obviously you're going to concede more goals it's very easy to make those types of analyses but if you take a step back and you just look at the two standout negative results for me they've come more from individuals who I expect better from who have shown better so rather than it's something in the system or we've lost this player it's actually the players who've been asked to step in have performed at a level which is well below what they should be performing at yeah. um, and so for me that's something that absolutely can be turned around and can be rectified Um do you think that if you look at 
If you look at Newcastle last season and you look at the reaction of the squad and the run that we go on and the kind of very almost um, tunnel vision that we we seem to get as a club, as a squad, as a supporter base, where it was just like, look, we just win every game from here. That's the only thing we can do. Um, do you think that they're capable of bringing that mentality into such an early stage in the season? Or do you think that actually, whereas maybe it relieved pressure last season because everybody knew what they needed to do, it'll increase pressure this season because it's earlier and because that means the demand, at least on paper, if you've got to win every single game, is basically impossible? (laughs) That's an impossible question to answer. I think that's why I asked you, boss. No, I think you can answer that yourself. My my thoughts is, having done what they did last season, it should really be a great help to them this season. If they got through that, then this is, you know, this is child's play. It's walking the park just to, you know, to, to turn this around earlier in the season. Because what they did at the end of last season is absolutely astonishing, in a way. Mm. But is what was the performance at the end of last season really so mentally tougher or so so much higher than what you know in recent weeks Wolves apart probably not it was nope. decided on moments yep but a power driver from Vincent Company uh, that ball just going over the line against Burnley little things all the time uh, mental strength galore and real desire but he's still. And you know, not just not just City Liverpool were doing exactly the same thing. You know, real close calls in games and little moments, changing draws into victories. So it wasn't they weren't ten out of ten performances every week, but they got over the line. Maybe, you know, it's just it could you know replay it and it could go a very different way. So we're not a million miles away from there, I don't think. And these players, no. sh- yeah, after that should have the strength to deal with this now. It, they've, it's a horrible, pointless cliche, but it is a point of just looking at the next game and like <laughs> focusing again. Uh, yeah, I know I, a lot. Of I, them, think I know a lot of them will say, "I don't look at this the table," but they will be aware of it, and that's what puts the pressure on them. The table. It's Absolutely. not the defeat two weeks ago. It's the result. It's the fact Liverpool won last two games, and you know, are drawing ahead now, but such a long way to go. Don't, don't forget in the early. Weeks of this season, we did have a discussion. Are City playing better than even last season? And I think we said yes, because we're ch- we're creating chances so easily. You know, think of West Ham away, that it just seemed that we'd gone up yet another level. And yet here we are now, wondering if it's all fallen apart. And it's like, well, no, it's uh, it's rectifiable. But maybe Palace away is not the best game to start off that run. Who knows? Well, I, actually, I think that. Uh, any game is a great game to start off a run like that in a way the harder the better because I think that you know one of the things that I imagine that Pep will be doing is he'll be saying to them as a group you're so much better than what you showed against Wolves that fundamentally your first job against Palace is to go out there and impose your level 
on the football match and I don't think that's something they did against Wolves they did against Norwich it was slightly different I feel that they did in moments impose their level but I think that against Wolves we never really imposed our level and I think that as long as we go out and we do that then uh, we we should be uh, we should be correct but we'll have this conversation a bit more in a bit more depth when we talk about the way City and Palace are going to match up in fact should we do that now because Looking at the, uh, looking, at, I was going to have a little chat about the international break, but ultimately, I think the players did okay. I think shout out to Zinchenko and Ukraine for qualifying, and Zinchenko for for uh, yeah, just being overly enthusiastic about everything that he does and and performing really well. And apparently, Gundogan was 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 incredible for for Germany in the in the international break. Yeah, um, congratulations but, for proposing as well. <laughs> That's how worked up he was. The uh proposed to his girlfriend as well oh that's right Zinchenko's getting married as well well done lad well done lad um, alright so I mean yeah we before we talk about United and Liverpool let's talk about Palace and City and you know Palace obviously um, can go ahead of City if they beat City at the weekend which would suggest that you know Palace have started the season quite well certainly their home record is excellent I believe this they've only conceded one goal at home so far this season. <clears throat> Looking at that, taking that into account, um, as I just touched upon, is this the right game to be playing after the Wolves' result for you? Uh, no, well, it probably brings its own worries. Obviously, the, they, you know, last season, that was the, the bizarre result of the season, but that was at our place. And that's my worry about this game, that it's not the ideal game, is that we could see a, a similar situation with Wolves, which is deep defence and some speed on the counter-attack could be very problematic for us. Uh, so that's kind of, And it's, a, I assume, a very tight... It's a tight ground, but I think the pitch is smaller than many others, which doesn't really play into our hands. So they're my concerns. Uh, I think the league position can be quite... Well, it can be very misleading because you know it's very tight. <laughs> but like, yeah, one. If you're in twelfth and you win a game, you can go up four places quite easily at this early stage of the season. But the Wolves were second bottom, and then they're now, yeah, two games later, uh, they're exactly where they should be in the top half of the table. And it's Palace are only one defeat away from slipping right into the middle. And I think Joe's Butterfield's done a, a match preview on the blog and. They have beat the teams they've beaten are eighteenth, sixteenth, twentieth, things like that. So uh, they won two one at West Ham, which is impressive. I watched the game and it was a very mixed bag. It's hard to define what you know how good Palace were. There was like it could have gone. Either. It was a match that any team could have won, or it could have been a draw. So they were good, but they got a break and they won. And you know the for a team that I thought were going to struggle with Tim Cahill in the middle of defence it's it's very impressive from Roy Hodgson but a City team on on form would still surely create a bag full of chances against this this side I think so my concern is then as I say the counter-attacking threat if they do leave two banks of players behind the ball again uh, but as you say yeah it's, there are harder games than this. There are easier games. If City want to win the league, then 
no excuses. This is a game that should win by a good, you know, a couple of goals easily. I think so. If they don't, then we have no complaints about where we are in the league and the situation. Okay, okay. I mean, why do you think this is a good game, sir? I do think it's a good. I do think it's a good game because I think that Palace are a good side. I think that they uh, and that Sellers Park is a really difficult place to go to, and I think that. Having a game, I think this is what I mean. In a way, had we been playing, I don't know, Sheffield United at home or Villa at home, yeah, yeah, I'm not sure how I'd feel about that, and also I'm not sure what I'd learn from that game because I imagine that City could be almost as poor as they were against Wolves, but still manage to nick it. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Whereas away at Palace is a game. Particularly with the way that Palace have started the season, it's really a game. I think in Zaha, they have arguably the best attacking player outside of the top five. Yeah? yeah. So they have that threat going the other way, which City will have to be mindful of. I think that when you put all of the pieces together, it's the type of matchup that I feel I'd like to see City go into. And I. I know it sounds weird, but because of how poor certain individuals were and the way that we defended collectively, I'm kind of glad that we're playing a side who posed serious threat on the counter-attack because, again, you know, this is about those players finding their level. And I think part of finding their level is being asked to play at a high level against difficult opposition. Um, Just kind of feeding into that, I'm gonna just gonna have the generals conversation now. Um, obviously, Otamendi's the one who probably has taken the most criticism for Wolves. Um, we had a conversation before the international break about what we thought Guardiola might do after the international break. Now that we're here, how do you think he deals with the Otamendi performance? So I'll give you some options on the table that you can discuss around. Stones is back training again, but he's barely played any football. Do you throw John Stones in away from home? Bearing in mind that Nicholas Otamendi's match fit playing. Um, do you use one of the kids? Do you use Garcia or, or Taylor Bellis? Uh, Howard Bellis. Is it Howard Bellis or Taylor Bellis? Well, it's both. Okay. Um, <laughs> in a way, so, if you want to say his home name, yeah. <laughs> how would you deal with that? Uh, yeah, uh, so, I mean, yeah, sorry, it's Taylor Harwood Bellis, but uh, no, I'd, I'd still see no chance of me putting the kids in. My hunch, it's not how would I deal with it, no idea. <laughs> don't, I don't want to have to make a decision. My hunch is he may rotate Rodri out, put Fernandinho back into DM, and have Otamendi and Stones, I think. Hmm. If you want me to explain why I can't, but well, so why for, for Fernandinho's DM presence? Maybe you know, maybe that is just the spark that gets us back. I mean, Rodri's been superb, but it's learning. You know, still learning because that's inevitable. He had to. He can't mm-hmm. be, can't be everything to. He can't be perfect in his system after two months. It's just mm-hmm. not happening. Uh, so he may just for you know tried and trusted basically being the reason with that three stones. You know, it, 
there's a worry of whichever way you do it. So, I mean, I can't see him going... I can't see... I think Otamendi stays in because of the options. I can't see him going Stones, Fernandinho. Because then you've got someone who's barely played against with a midfielder. Exactly. So, I think Otamendi has to be reminded that if he doesn't dive in, his game's excellent. So, just stop doing that. You know, the stats are good, but the stats are, are pointless when he then does what he did against Wolves. You know, the stats just... Mm. You might as well just tear them up and put them in the bin. Because, Absolutely. you know, past completion means nothing when you do what he does. But I think he'll survive a call. Uh, and I think he may part the Stones. If Stones has been... I think he's been training all week. Is that true? I think so, yeah. yeah. I so get the impression... Sorry, if he's had a few days training then, yeah, I think he'll make the... He might make the team. Okay. Okay. What do you think? Um, what would you well, do? So I like that. Instinctively, I hadn't really thought about that. And now that you've put it on the table, part of me is like, yeah, okay, I can I can see why that kind of makes sense. Um, I think the issue is that I think Guardiola will be loathed to take Rodri out of the team. I think that Rodri is fast becoming Laporte in midfield in that, if he fit, if he's fit, he plays, and everybody's got a fit around him. Um, what would I do? I'd play Otamendi and Fernandinho again, right. if I'm honest. I think that m- what I wouldn't want to do is get involved in chopping and changing again, right? So I'd be looking at it and I'd be going, okay, I'm going to play Walker at right back. I'm going to play Mendy or Zinchenko at left back. And I'm going to play Otamendi and, and Fernandinho again. I'm going to play Rodri in front of them again. Um, but maybe I'll change what happens in front of Rodri. KDB's fit. So maybe KDB, Rodri and Bernardo. Yeah. KDB and Bernardo offer more legs somehow in that in those central in areas. So it's just... I'm never predicting Bernardo in the middle again. It's just... <laughs> No, but you asked me what I'd do. I so know, yeah. I, Until he does it once, I'm not predicting it, though. Yeah. No, I do. I, I completely understand. But I, instinctively, that's what I'd go with. I'd be loath to do anything too dramatic in, in defence because I fear and I worry that the issue might be a little bit of Guardiola first season in that Pep's having to chop and change every game and chopping and changing the back four every game isn't good and quite the opposite we've been at our best when there's been a relatively stable back four uh, under Guardiola so I think for that reason I almost want Otamendi and and, and Fernandinho to play again um, yeah I mean it's a hard one because I think the other thing is that I think that you know is Otamendi the right guy against Palace's forward line? Well, for set pieces and stuff like that, he probably is. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You probably want Otamendi in there for his physicality over Stones, over Garcia. Um, but at the same time, you fear with their threat on the counter whether the way to control the game is to control the football and therefore Stones and Fernandinho offer you a lot more control of the football just because their passing is better and braver yeah. from 
the back line. I mean, look, it's a huge, I think it's a huge selection for Guardiola for many reasons. Um, and I think we've shown in this discussion that there isn't a right or a wrong because of the options that he's got and because of what happened before the international break. Um, yeah, well, I'm pretty sure Otamendis keeps his place, so all I can say is just stay off Twitter at half four on Saturday afternoon when the teams are announced. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, I imagine plenty of fans just assuming he'll be dropped now, but no, I don't know. Well, we'll see. We, we, it's impossible to predict, but yeah, I think he's got a good chance of staying in the team anyway. Yeah, I think so too. Absolutely go along with that. Um, Okay, so pick me your team before we move on to preview briefly Manchester United against Liverpool. All right, yeah, I'll go. Obviously, keeper, don't need to say. All right, Walker, right. And I think Mendy might come in at left back. Just yeah. if they do sit deep, just uh, they need that. I'll go with, yeah. St- oh, God. <laughs> This could be my worst one ever where I get four out of the 11. Uh, Stones and Otamendi. Fernandinho. And now I'd I love, you know, Bernardo and Kevin as well. Sterling Mara's Aguero. Okay. Have I missed playing out? Have I done 11? Yes, Who you have. have, you have yeah, David you, Silva you, you, I think you, would drop. Yeah. I think that. I can see Mendy coming back in. I can see KDB coming back in. Uh, I think that Walker plays. I think that... Oh, in fact, you know what? No. No. I'm going back a step here. I got a feeling that Walker sits and Cancelo plays at right back and Mendy plays at left back. It's Fernandinho and Otamendi. It's Rodri. It's KDB. And it's David Silva. Um, I think then... Moving forward, I wonder whether Bernardo doesn't get a go on the right, Raz plays on the left, mm. and Aguero plays up top. I'm guessing that that's the team that um, that Pep's going to uh, going to go with. Um, hey, Howard, quickly, are we getting over the line? Do you predict a Manchester City victory? Yeah, I think a, a quite nervy two-one win would be par for the course. I think. Yep. I uh, I would go along with a... I mean, right now, sitting here, don't have a uh, massively strong, bad or good feeling. I think it'll be a tough game. I expect us to just about get over the line over the 90 minutes. And I hope that that sort of steadies the ship somehow. But actually, I think having De Bruyne back, I think if we can get Mendy back and keep him fit, I think those two things will also help steady the ship. Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, the most pointless team in the Premier League, Manchester United, come up against our nemesis, Liverpool, at Old Trafford this weekend. Um, I'm to keep this brief, Howard. I've read nothing but white flags from anything associated with Manchester United about this game. Now, De Gea and Pogba are out, and the general feeling is, as long as we don't lose by four or five or six, then we've done all right. Um, Do you feel like that? Do you have a sense that people are underestimating the derby nature of this game? Or do you actually think that Manchester United have fallen so far 
that even at home in their quote-unquote biggest game of the season, they are an irrelevance. Well, I, I would, I would absolutely say it's identical to when City used to play United as underdogs. The fear, yeah, I do. I think an early goal could be crucial here. I mean, last season they drew nil nil. Uh, I didn't watch it. It was a day of the Carabao Cup final, so I doubt, <laughs> doubt anyone watched it. Uh, United lost three players, I think, injured in the first half. But Liverpool played dead in a way because they had that lead in the table and probably thought a point at Old Trafford wasn't the end of the world. Uh, proved to be quite a costly mistake. I don't think they're going to play dead this time. They'll probably, you know, s- smell blood. Uh, but, I mean, it's not really a derby, but it's it's kind of a derby in that, yeah, sometimes form can go out the window, etc. It's a, a huge rivalry. And, you, yeah, under Mourinho for all his faults I could see him somehow getting a result out of this but I don't trust Solskjaer and yet the XG in their defence is apparently the best in the in the Premier League so they are capable of defending so their best chance is to kill the game and try and use a bit of pace on the counter attack and sneak something but I do feel if you were a United fan right now would you be looking forward to Sunday I mean I would I would I'd hate these games anyway you know I hate Derby Day but when you're when you're worried about it, not just losing, but the, the chance that you could be ripped apart, that just ramps it up. And I do feel it's got the, it's got the feeling of you know when we were huge underdogs in derbies. I'd, I'd say mm. that you know obviously I was a pessimist you know then, <laughs> let alone now. And I used to think you know if they get an early, don't get an early goal, don't get an early goal. You know just keep it going as long as possible and we'll, we'll be okay. Uh, and I think that'll be the feeling with them that if Liverpool score early, that the mood in the ground will be, yeah, you'll feel it cascade down from the stands. And I say, hey, I put it to you: Would you, as a you know, fan, bit have any confidence going into this game? Well, I mean, no confidence is 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 absolutely too strong a word and is the wrong word. Um, I think that, like a lot of, you know. Like a lot of football narratives, there's an element of narrative involved in a lot of this. I think that, you know, to suddenly suggest that a game that historically is dull and tight and is never won by clear goals is suddenly going to descend into a a kind of farce for one team, I think is a little bit, uh, a little bit of an exaggeration. I think that, you know, Maybe where United are somehow strongest is defensively, as you kind of touched upon. Um, I think that what United, what doesn't suit United is playing teams who don't want to have the football, right? When United have to have the football and dominate the football, they don't like it and they can't play. Um, However, in games where they don't really want the football and the other team are happy to have the football, I think they find it easier to be compact and play on the counter-attack. So as much as, of course, I understand why Liverpool are heavy favourites, and of course I understand why, you know, with Liverpool's attack, there is this perpetual fear that they're going to go and score eight goals against everyone. But, you know, I think one of the things that has bothered me, and I touched upon it, in my uh, 
cameo appearance on the uh, Noisy Pod earlier this week is our poor results have masked, uh, in my opinion, Liverpool's... uh, hmm, How do I characterise it? Liverpool have gotten over the line a lot in the last six weeks as opposed to blowing teams away, right? There's been a lot of big decisions in the last... 10 minutes of game, last five minutes of games, a lot of goalkeepers throwing the ball in the back of the net, a lot of, you know, just stuff that happens, yeah, that gets you over the line. But there hasn't been a fear of God performance that I've seen from them in the last six or eight weeks. So it's surprised me a little bit the way everybody's just piled in with the idea United are getting absolutely wiped here. I mean, they more than likely they'll lose the football match. Um, I guess what I'm trying to say is that I would be quite surprised if United are blown away in the first half an hour and end up three, four goals behind. Um, And I also would be, um, I wouldn't be shocked, for example, if you get to 60 or 70 minutes and there's only a goal in it. And I think that that's kind of the key here is that, you know, we're... It's a whole different conversation about, you know, two months ago when somebody wrote uh, City needs to be beat. Somebody needs to beat City for the good of the Premier League, right? Well, I'm interested this weekend because I think that for the good of the Premier League and for the good of the title race, United at Old Trafford need to do something against Liverpool. Um, I'm not convinced that they will. I'm interested in seeing whether there's some sort of narrative demanding that United do something because right now I don't see that. All I see is United are terrible and they're going to get rolled over. Um just the final thing on this for you, as a United player, mentally, looking at that media, looking at everybody saying you're going to get rolled over, can that have a positive impact on that dressing room or not? Yeah, of course. I mean, no one likes you know, being portrayed like that, so they've got to use that. Mm. They've, got to prove, they've got to prove a point, these players. Uh, you know, Goalkeeper-wise, it's one probably the, the only area of the squad that they do have capable backups and Romero's I think got six clean sheets in his seven league games so and the De- Hayes form has been up and down so it's not a disaster there losing Pogba could be I mean the, the, you know they've not got many players lined up really they're dipping into youth players who could get overrun but losing Pogba might not be the, the terrible thing you know you'd, you'd initially think it is because a more workmanlike midfield might be the key here mm. uh, but yeah, they've got to use that the right way. No one expects them to win, and that's how, in a way, City won derbies when they were underdogs because no one expected them to. And yeah, as you say, Liverpool, Liverpool are way top because they've not made mistakes. Yeah, as you say, they've not been they've not been playing total football themselves. So it'd be interesting to see how they will they come out trying to get a goal or will they be quite cagey and, and just bide their time. Uh, mm. It's not a given this game not at all uh, but Liverpool you know must be the first time in almost a generation that they go to Old Trafford odds on to win a football match so definitely I yeah it, it, I think it is key how well yeah his defence stands up because they can I don't think Marsh, Martial's got he can't start no uh, but he may may be on the bench they may have Solskjaer said he's got half an hour in him yeah yeah, so he could come off the bench, but they're looking 
you know, it's a lot of onus on Rashford. It, little things like that, how good a game he has. He's been terrible for United and good for England. So can he break out from the shackles and how will Solskjaer, you know, approach this? I just don't have the confidence that he's really got the tactical nous to to do more than play dead. But maybe that's the okay. key. Okay. Um, do you think they win it? Liverpool? Yeah. <laughs> Obviously not United. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Two nil. Yeah, I, I think. think so too. Yeah, I don't. I, think I they... don't think they'll blow them away. No, but I think no. it'll be. A, I think they'll just have more in front of goal than United will by quite a distance. I agree. I just think they'll be. I think that they'll be comfortable within a uncomfortable game, if that makes sense. That I think that two nil is a pretty good prediction. I think I can see it being one nil for a long time, and I can see United. Pressing and pressing and pressing, and then eventually one of the Liverpool forwards killing it off on the hour mark, and at 2-0, basically everybody shakes hands. Like a lot of the derbies at Old Trafford in the last few years, where as soon as United go behind, you just know after 20 minutes, they know they're not getting back in it, and the heads go down, and one of those. So that's my my view on it. Um, Right, Howard, this was the Friday show. Thank you very much. Pleasure as always. To everybody who listened, thank you very much. Um, we'll be back with a review of the Palace game on Sunday or Monday. Have a lovely weekend, and in the meantime, be safe, be well, and as always, up the blues.